Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. Matt Galinsky is a professional chef who is joining us from Australia. Having been raised on a tropical fruit farm on Queensland's Sunshine Coast, he developed a strong connection to fresh produce from the land that has influenced his relationship with cooking and food throughout the course of his life. He has a deep understanding of the simple beauty of quality food, how it can nourish us, and how cooking can be a form of stress relief. Matt has a broad and interesting career, having been one of the original team members of the TV show Ready Steady Cook, executive chef at some of Queensland's leading restaurants and founding his own catering company, among many other achievements. In this episode, we talk about cooking and mental health, getting children involved in the kitchen and the power of quality ingredients. It's great to have you um, with us, Matt. Thanks so much for joining joining us because just on a personal note, I can see you're taking some time out at the moment, just taking off December and January for a bit of a decompress. So um, I felt a bit bad actually hauling you in for a chat today oh, no, uh, no. The just work, on your holiday. The carries on anyway, <laughs> even if I say <laughs> I'm not doing it. But um, yeah, no, it's been nice to have at least a month off where I'm just, you know, I've, I've just moved to... Uh, 14 acre property in Kinkin and it's covered in fruit trees and yeah. it's uh it's one of those you know it's a real steep learning curve for me so it's nice to all those things we moved here in May um so it's nice to have all those things that I've been looking at for six months going god I wish I had time to do that now I have yeah. time to do them so I'm probably yeah. working harder than when I actually work but it's mm. uh it's fun it's nice to be able yeah. to do that that stuff Really nice to sort of be able to decompress and sort of enjoy the property and I guess kind of the fruits of your labours too, like actually enjoy the, 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 the kind of the, the provenance and the fruit of your labours, no pun intended. So what we're going to be doing in this episode is talking about cooking and mental health and also sort of getting, you know, how to get kids involved in the kitchen and the power of quality ingredients. I'm really interested in the kids part because uh, my daughter's her, her, the extent of her sort of enjoyment of food is grabbing a paper bag from the front gate from that dreadful business called Uber Eats and oh, no. even getting her down from the you know the bedroom to the front door to get that paper bag. I've almost got to pay her to do that. Oh, so no. yeah, any any tips, any tips yeah, would be yeah, much yeah. appreciated. Yeah, cool. And also just yeah, on that um you know personal note, um I just wanted to say congrats because I I can see you had a new bubs on Christmas day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, little Tilly Rose. So yeah, congrats you're a dad too. And yeah, she's an absolute maniac. She's great. She's so funny. Um, That's just so neat. Yeah, yeah it's so really cool. Very, very cool. Um, just saw that too, so that's just great. So, yeah, I discovered your work when I was doing some research into food and mental health and just thought you'd be a great advocate um, to talk about, um, you know, I guess slow food 
and the history of, of, of an idea, you know, what slow food was really all about and the strong connections between plate and, and planet and people, politics and culture, and I'm interested in how that sort of plays out in Queensland. I'm actually very familiar with Noosa. Oh, um, Actually visited Noosa. I visit Noosa almost yearly at this time of year. Yeah, uh, I've, I've, I've actually eaten. <laughs> well, actually, I don't also visit eaten at this, this time of year. <laughs> I love it at this time of year. <laughs> this 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 particular year is the uh, the first year I haven't visited Noosa at this time of year. Uh, what's the weather like up there? Yeah, at the moment, at the moment. it's beautiful, actually, magic. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's it always been... is. It just rolls out every day at around thirty degrees. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. it's a magic place. It's stunning, and I have eaten at the View Restaurant oh, when you were sort of yeah at taking charge at up at Peppers. I've oh, stayed right. up at Peppers actually. Oh, have you? Yeah, um, it's a it's a so good I'm, I'm really familiar. It's good space with the with the property and the restaurant and so forth. Oh, so great. yeah, no, it's uh, I'm very. I'm sort of been in your neck of the woods and do love. I actually stay at Sunshine Beach most of the time. Oh dear, yeah. Um, I like I like Sunshine Beach. Um, probably the beach and the surf and the surf club and that whole sort of asset over there is just awesome. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, I wish New Zealand had the consistency of summers that you guys <laughs> get. You know. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty lucky, really. Actually, we don't really have winters and um, and the summers are yeah. never too too bad. We. We have got a lot of rain here this year in the last year. Have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was the biggest ever, I think. So it's, um, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. it could be worse. I was actually there last July when you guys had Armageddon. Oh, Do you no. remember Armageddon? Yeah, yeah. It was full <laughs> on, wasn't it? Yep, absolutely. It was hideous. I was in Sunshine Beach and I was travelling up. I'd come up from Sydney where you, you, it was the coldest winter on record. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm getting up to the Sunshine Coast for a bit of sun. And I landed, and the cabbie driver said, oh, you've come at the worst time. We're about to get the worst weather ever. And I was like, you're kidding. And then about 48 hours later, the palm trees just started to get that bend on them. And I got my video out, and it was just, it was like Jurassic Park. I'd never seen the Sunshine Coast just so ripped up. And then they closed all the beaches up, and it was pretty gnarly for about a week. Yeah, it was like that a lot last year. Just, yeah, just full-on weather. Crazy. Yeah. So, okay, let's crack into it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you just a few questions about, you know, I guess the, the power of eating well and just sort of your awareness around the power of eating well. I mean, you know, when, I mean, you talk about always wanting to be a chef and this sort of awareness from as young as 12, which I find really fascinating and the awareness of the power of eating well. Was this something that you discovered at a really early age or the power of this or whether you discovered this just sort of on your cooking journey in general more into adulthood? Yeah, no, I think that that a big part of me becoming a chef and wanting to be a chef from that age, when I was six, I was living in suburban Brisbane. My folks, you know, built a, my dad had built a house in Sunnybank, you know, sort of a which is practically in inner suburb of Brisbane now. Um, and the, when I was six, it was 1978, and my folks decided uh, to pack everything up and buy a 33-acre farm on, in Palmwoods on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, it was a banana farm, uh, but it also had lots of avocado trees and macadamias and uh, pawpaws and, you know, lots of different stuff. Um, and it, Dad was always growing, you know, zucchinis or tomatoes there was always those seasonal produce as well that that we had mm. but uh, you know we had 
mango trees everywhere and custard apples and, you know, you name it, all the tropical stuff. And so I grew yeah. up with that. You know, I grew up with a, a tyre swing under a massive mango tree and I'd just climb up this mango tree and pick mangoes from it and sort yeah, of rip them yeah. open with my hands, take a couple of slurps and chuck it and, you know, move on to the next mango. And so, you know, that was that was kind of my childhood growing up was – I knew I knew which were the best pawpaw trees to go to to get the best pawpaws, you know, on the property. I knew and I knew what exactly what size and I always had my pocket knife so I'd just cut mm. one off and peel it. And so mm. that's that was my introduction to food from an early age. And and I guess, you know, I I sort of from a pretty young age started just, you know, dabbling in the kitchen. I was really excited by it. I was excited by things like the chemistry of it. I loved making bread and things like that. That really fascinated uh, yeah. me, you know, just the, how yeast worked and all that sort of thing. And, yeah. and yeah, so yeah. I get really excited about it from an early age and, and, you know, and I kind of, I'm still excited about it now, you know, <laughs> it's 50, yeah. 50 odd years later and, and I still, you know, I still every day get excited about learning something new about food and, and Mm. Um, was your dad – how come your dad was sort of so heavily invested in growing? Well, I think mum and dad probably grew up in that sort of rural areas in Brisbane when it, before it was suburbia. Um, and I, I don't know why that they made that choice. It, was, it would have been a pretty scary thing at the time, you know, that they weren't farmers. Um, and right. 33 acres isn't a big farm in the scheme of things, um, but it was – you know, it was a big job for the two of them to, to move. Yeah, it's a lifestyle it. choice though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. And, you know, and they did it particularly well. And, and it was, a, a, a you know, an amazing thing for them to do for me and my sister, really. You know, mm. we, had a, mm. we had a blessed childhood, really, mm. <laughs> living up in a place yeah. like that. My sister rode horses and I rode motorbikes and, you know, we were, we were always outside. And, and so... You know, I feel lucky that that's that's where I got to grow up. Um, but yeah, I think having that influence of you know, kind of growing up and seeing food grow—that's a really big part of I think of understanding food is seeing how it grows, see what a plant, what a tomato plant looks like, or a zucchini plant looks like, or how a pawpaw tree flowers, or how you yeah. cut down a banana tree, or whatever. All those things that kind of give you an understanding of and a respect for you know, the ingredients that you you take for granted every day. Oh, sure. I mean, the average city kid wouldn't know what a, you know, banana plant looks like. No, that's right. Know, I'm, sure, I'm sure. So, I mean, just you talk about the goodness of that as you were growing and, and how that was a sort of, I guess what I'm hearing from you is that it was a privilege to be around that. How How has, you know, growing up around that and then having this sort of relationship with food and being in the kitchen, um, helped you with your mental health, supported you with, with positive mental health or with better mental health? I think, you know, probably out of anything in the entire world, working with food is probably the thing that's going to make you happiest ever. Like, I think, you know, yeah. that, that maybe that's just me, but, you know, you're working with something that's alive and full of energy and and it's a beautiful mm. thing. And we, if, you get, if you learn to understand it and, um, you know, to me, Cooking's never a burden. I think that's one of the big problems. It's not scary and it's not a burden to me. Like I don't, I'll cook. People go, oh, do you, you know, you're like the mechanic with the broken car. You, do you, do you cook at home? I'm like, yeah, I cook at home every day. I cook for my girls, mm. and I enjoy mm. it. I look forward to it um, mm. because it, to me, it's you know, 
it's a fun thing to do, not a not a scary a or a burden. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, as far as my mental health goes, like it, it's it's just a given to me. Um, I think I'd be, you know, pretty sad if I if that was something that I couldn't do anymore. Um, when I was when I came out of hospital, the first thing I did. You know, this is ten years going back. Ten years ago now, I went to live with my dad, and the first thing I did when I got home was pick up a chef's knife just and cook something um, to make sure that mm. I still could. Yeah. You know, it was very, yeah, very yeah. important to me. And and um, but you know, it, it, if I think once you um, discover the how beautiful and exciting and alive food is, um, you know, it's hard for it to not make you happy. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I do know people that sort of don't, you know, eat, live to eat, you know, they sort of eat to live and, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those, but I do know people that aren't sort of hugely motivated by f- good food or the enjoyment of food um, and, you know, I, it sort of seems to be sort of two camps of people. Um, but I do I do think that we're sort of all t- quite time poor these days and so when you, you speak about uh, not imagining to have, that time to cook, I do think about a really good number, a good cohort of people that are generally time poor, who would be running from, you know, one job potentially to the next, who just might not have that luxury to be able to come home and, you know, be able to put the love into the food that you're talking about, or perhaps put the love into, you know, the provenance of being able to source food from, say, farmers markets or, you know, sourcing food, taking the care to buy their food from the best source possible. I mean, that just segues me into produce and farmers markets as a conversation. Do you think that farmers markets are a bit overrated or do you think that they're, you know, say compared to supermarkets um, from a quality perspective? I mean, I think from a price point, my experience with farmers markets is they're pretty expensive. Um, yeah, they can be, for sure. They're not, they're not, they're not cheap. They're not... It's yeah. You're yeah. not going there to get a bargain. It's not a thrift shop. No, no, exactly. You know? I was and at some farmers markets in Sydney that's recently, the way you look and at it. I, yeah, a bit blown away by the prices. Yeah, um, I think. What are your I thoughts? Think maybe we. Uh, it comes. It becomes a bit more obvious when you're at a farmers market. You probably take. You probably don't notice it so much when you're at the supermarket, because you're just piling all stuff into a into a trolley, and then you go through, and they go, oh, "That'll be two hundred and fifty bucks." Thanks, and you don't notice that. The zucchinis are actually, or the capsicums are actually eighteen dollars a kilo this week. Um, you know, there's things like yeah. that. But when you're going from stall to stall at farmers markets and you're doling out there, it's like, okay, there's forty bucks for that and twenty bucks for this, whatever. And then all of a sudden, there's you know, you've got nothing left in your in your purse after, <laughs> after walking around. Then yeah. it all suddenly yeah. becomes a bit more real. But I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly any more expensive than going to the supermarket. I think it's probably just a bit more clear. Um, but that that it does that food costs that much, um, and that's just every yeah. that's everything now. You go to the supermarket and everything's expensive. Um, yeah. Do you notice it? Like, I mean, the average consumer's noticing the hike in fruit and vegetables. I mean, even raw staples like potatoes are costing that much more now. Yep. Um, are, are you noticing it and hearing people talking about it more? Oh, at the definitely. Moment? Yeah. I mean, it's a thing, and it's sort of eased a little bit. It's it really. It fluctuates with all the different weather things that happen, you know, and yeah. we noticed it, you know, early last year when Lockyer Valley got wiped out and, and that's, you know, something like 70 or 80% of the 
you know, lettuce crop of Australia, you know, comes from that region. So that gets mm. flooded and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, no lettuce for your KFC burger. What a, you know, what a yeah. disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's just the reality of it. I think, you know, it's there's so many different factors involved in what creates the cost of our foods. But, you know, what I'd say about things like something like the farmer's markets is for a start, you know, if you're paying $10 a kilo for tomatoes at the farmer's markets and $10 a kilo for the tomatoes at the supermarket, at the farmer's market, that that farmer that grew those tomatoes is getting $10 a kilo. If he sends them off and they go to end up in on the shelves in the supermarket, then he's probably getting three maybe at the most. He pays for mm. a carton. He pays for the transport truck to drive it there, then the agent to sell it, and then they, you know, the supermarket puts on their eighty percent markup or whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, it, the, so you're actually supporting a local community, a local farmer. You're actually getting what they should be getting for their tomatoes. So there's all that side of it as well. But what I'd say probably about the quality is. You know, and and this comes down to developing a relationship with your with your farmers. If you do go to the farmers markets, then talk to them and get to know them, and they'll get to know you. And you know, once they know that you're loyal and you respect what they do, then you know, you'll find that they'll be like, oh yeah, they'll slip a few extra tomatoes in there, or they'll, hey, I've got this garlic. Take this, take a bulb of this as well. You know, yeah, and it's that yeah. relationship yeah. that's actually yeah. the value. Um, mm. It also means that you'll get the sort of varieties from a farmer's market of things or, you know, different produce than you would at a supermarket because mm. let's say, for example, strawberries or tomatoes are a great two really good examples. Um, farmers, if they're selling at the farmer's market each week, then they're going to grow. They don't have to grow a variety that can be dropped from two metres and not bruised and last six weeks on the shelf. They're not being yes. force ripened in by gas in the back room, mm. uh, you know. Mm. Avocado, good point. Good point. All those, yeah, good, all those good things points. come into it, you know. Things that we take for granted: bananas, avocados. They're all force ripened, so that you don't have to wait for them to ripen, you know, when you pick yes. them up. Yeah. Mate. All those. Or they're, or they're bit, yeah, or they're pushed to look better looking, oh, like yeah. a shady yellow, or yeah. you know, so they they look more. Appealing, right? Yeah, um, that's going to sell faster. Is that is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Like that? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's probably less about the consumer and more about what someone sits around thinking up. People want. Yeah, a perception. You know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like focus go, groups thinking. Yeah, consumers want this yellow because yeah, this is going to fly out the, the door. Yeah, it can be about it be about the size of the banana or, or the the angle of the bend in it. You know, it's, interesting. It's yeah. That, I must say dumped bananas because they don't have the right bend in them. Mm, Yeah, yeah, and that's just a heck of a lot of wastage too, isn't it? I mean, I I do remember that recently when I was in Sydney, the farmers markets that I went to, I couldn't believe the variety of tomatoes and um, mushrooms in particular blew me away. I I was pretty impressed with the mushrooms. Absolutely. it was just like a food experiment, you know, buying all these things. And then t- we did go home and cook with them. And we were like, we wonder what these taste like, these mushrooms on toast. and Absolutely. It, it, makes, was, it was good fun. Makes life a bit more exciting, definitely. I, I, yeah. And you'll yeah. see a lot of things that, you know, that farmers will have on their properties that, they, that there isn't a market for or they don't have mm. enough of to send off to, to, you know, the central markets in Brisbane or Sydney or whatever. 
Um, yeah. So you'll see things that you wouldn't normally see. I've got a, a cooperative in my little township. Every Saturday morning they have, um, you know, a big stall where they all the farmers from the Mary Valley pull all their produce. And so it's a, it's a real proper snapshot of exactly what's in season that week in mm. the Mary Valley. Fantastic. You know, and yeah. unusual stuff that you wouldn't normally see. So there'd be like pomelos or there might be carambolas or there might be black sapotis or there might be, you know, so many different things that you don't – Coles isn't going to stock that, you know. No, <laughs> no, they need turnover. No. They don't want to waste stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, speaking of kids, you know, I've got a Gen Z and he's really interested in all those – that diversity that you're talking about – and he's really keen to cook and likes to get into the kitchen. And his happy place is, you know, he was given some knives for Christmas and cooking some chefing knives. Oh, and that's awesome. So, super excited about these knives and went back and got himself some more for the flat. You know, he doesn't let the flatmates touch the knives. but ah, um, no good. He's <laughs> <laughs> got locks on the knives. <laughs> but um, he's, you know, he was real excited about these mushrooms in Sydney and, um he just loves going out and getting these varieties and, and giving them a go in the kitchen. So I think um, the, these kids are quite switched on about, um, you know, good food, uh, plate planet, and uh, quite keen, I think, to get, you know, get amongst it. Um, I've just sort of noticed that, you know, my, my generation probably weren't quite as engaged in, in cooking. But I think cooking and cooking shows, right, and and, and that's all come to the fore Um with, with Tilly, and you probably found with Ready Steady Cook that you might have had a good following of, of young people too, not just, you know, domestic housewives, but young people sort of leaning in. Yeah. Did you sort of find that? Yeah, absolutely. And that was a really good show for just teaching people to be, um, you know, um, to improvise with what they had. You know, that's what I loved about yeah, doing yeah. that show was, and it truly was, exactly as it came across that show it was five ingredients that we hadn't seen before thrown in front of yeah. us and we had to go and so it was a, you know yeah. a kind of a simulation of you open your fridge at home oh I've got a piece of pumpkin and a, you know some eggs and a whatever yeah it's probably what a cream. flat fridge looks like yeah, right yeah, that's it's probably just pretty true yeah, yeah five ingredients yeah. if you're lucky um but right. you know that that was that was a really good show for that because it was mm. you know it, you might not have actually cooked any of the dishes that we made on the show but it filled you with information about all those ingredients and so it was good for that i think mm, yeah if i'd say anything about cooking shows um you know there's kind of you know probably the most popular ones are the ones where there's lots of drama and you know crying and swearing and yeah. you know people melting down and all that sort of stuff and i think they've got a little bit to answer for as far as people feeling as though cooking is hard or scary, you know, or mm. an emotion, you know, mm. bad emotion thing. It, sh mm. it shouldn't be that at all. And, you know, those shows yeah. have been great in other ways um, for, for people's education and all that sort of stuff and their interest in food. But I think also to a lot of people it's been, a, you know, almost um, detrimental in the fact that, you know, they go, oh, it's cooking, oh, that's, things could go wrong. Don't think I could handle things that. Things could go wrong, yeah. the pressure, you know. Mm. But that's part of the joy of it is you learn, you know, things do go wrong. Things still go wrong for me, but, you know, mm. you learn from that every single time and you go, okay, well, I know, yeah. I won't do that again. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's 
the thing I liked about doing Ready Steady Cook was it was just pure joy. It was just fun and silliness. Yeah, and well, that's a good, that's a nice angle because I mean, I've always thought you needed to be a certain temperament to be able to handle the high heat in the kitchen. And I'm not talking about the temperature of the oven. I'm talking about the the intensity of just the service atmosphere and the pace of the kitchen and the temperaments of everybody and the, yeah. that high level of perfection of plating food up and. Yeah, there is a certain yeah. certain degree of that, you know, and, but that's completely different to cooking yourself and your partner dinner at home. Oh, um, totally. You know, it's 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 different to go. Okay, I'm going to make two serves of chicken breast. To okay, order in, um, you know, one chicken sauce on the side, one beef medium rare, um, mm. no broccoli. Uh, <laughs> like the, yeah, the orders yeah, that you get these days are just, you know, are sometimes two feet long and it's four people, you know, because it's... Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you enjoying the break? You must oh, be enjoying the break, not, not having that on your head right now. The funny thing is I'm actually, like, chomping at the bit to get back into it because I... That's, are you? Oh. Yeah, yeah, look, I, do, I just enjoy it so, a lot and, and you know, uh, I don't, um, you know, I enjoy the challenge of it and I enjoy the social side of it. But, you know, I, I really am sort of ready now. I'm like, okay, I'm cooking for just what for, next? For a friend's birthday yeah. party next weekend. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm uh, going to cook this and that and I'm going to do that. Well, Flip, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got an event next week. Do you want to come down here and take care of it for me? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm already booked. <laughs> well, I'll, take, I'll, I'll get you the tickets in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to kind of touch on what wholesome food means. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of an old school term wholesome wholesomeness or wholesome um, because you know we, we eat a lot of processed foods these days and look I've just come back from the United States and I, I don't think I've eaten in as much sugar as I have in the last two weeks um, you know but I, I'm just interested in what you know wholesome means for you yeah is it is it yeah do you want to expand on that a bit yeah absolutely look I, I, for me I mean I'm I'm fairly aware I've just you know I've just had a month of off and I've been probably drinking more than I should have and, you know, eating a lot of, like, large chunks of brie and things like that, you know, and it's not necessarily sugar, but I, I've reached a point this week where I'm like, okay, I've got to knuckle down and all of a sudden I'm, you know, not drinking and I'm I'm aware, become I'm making myself aware of what I'm eating each time I'm eating. And so, you know, to me, yeah. I, um, I like eating healthy food and I like cooking healthy food, so, you know, I'll... I'll um, and I'm lucky enough that here I am on 14 acres in Kinkin, beautiful, you know, lush green wet yeah. place where I've got a hundred, I'm the custodian as far as I'm concerned of 120 fruit trees. Um, mm. <coughs> everything from mangoes to, you know, avocados and all the citrus and all the tropical fruits. And um, so, and we've got things like just cherry tomatoes just growing self-seeding everywhere well everywhere you wow. walk there's a tomato bush so you walk around the place and you know you'll be doing some mowing or you know fixing something or whatever it's like oh cherry tomatoes and you stuff your mouth full of cherry tomatoes and they're the best yeah. cherry tomatoes you'll ever eat you know they're they're amazing and um so yeah to me i kind of i'm very aware of and i'm very aware having a five-year-old um i've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old and the five-year-old is that point now where Everything is about wanting sugar. And you realise just, you know, there's a show recently about drugs on the ABC and one of the drugs they talked about was sugar. 
you know, and it is, it's true. It be, become addicted to it and at five years, six years old, she is addicted to sugar and she just craves right. it all the time and you've got to say to her, no, you can't have any more lollies or chocolate or ice cream or, you know, this or that. And we try, try to to steer her in the direction of, of um, you know, healthier stuff and it's like, but, yeah, she's she harasses you to the point of screaming her head off, you know, if you say no. Yeah. And that's yeah. probably all kids, really. But it's, um, you know, well, I, for me, I think you've just got to be aware of just how much sugar is in everything. You know, we kind of get sold um, the the myth that, yeah, eat, eat breakfast cereal for breakfast and, you know, it's really good for you and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> you know. There's, but there's a lot there's of sugar not, in there, there's right? There's not very many it's, out there that are actually good for you. you I know, know no sugar your options. brain does not make you an Iron Man. No, I know. I can't stand those ads. I know. Yeah, gonna be a, you're going to be a pro netballer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start, exactly. Yeah, taking in lots of Nutri-Grain. Um, I mean, Kellogg's another brand that sort of promotes, you know, sugary cereals in general. With with athletic performance, um, yeah. and if you and, yeah. and if, if you are an athlete and you're burning eight thousand calories a day, you probably could get away with eating Nutrigrain. But true. if you're sitting true. playing computer games all day, it's yeah, that's right, that's not, right. It's yeah. not going to do you any good. Um, yeah, and it, it's a science to understand that output too. Yeah. The average consumer is not going to really understand that level of output versus input. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's it's a, yeah. We um you know we. We have a family meal every night, and I generally am the the one that cooks it. And it can be anything from, you know, fried rice, but I'll use brown rice instead of white rice. Oh yes. Um, yeah. You know, and that gets you know I make omelets and chop them up, and that goes in there. And then it can be anything, all all the veggies that are in the crisper. And so to be able to get a five year old to eat that, you know, you kind of you can dice up carrots and you can put broccoli in it and you can mm. put some ham in it and the omelet, and all of a sudden they're getting five different vegetables and some egg and some brown rice and that's a you know that's a good and they like eating it it's a good meal mm. it's a fun it's a fun meal and so so what what I'm sort of hearing coming through here is that there's a degree of mindfulness in the approach mindfulness around what you're eating what you're feeding your kids um mindfulness I guess around the time that you've got to allocate to be able to prepare that food yep um it's not always going to be a relaxing ritual cooking because no. cooking at times is functional, right? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, yeah. mm, but there is a degree of mindfulness if you want to cook and prepare wholesome food. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I think from my point of view, with with um, Aluna, our five year old, it, it's uh, the mindfulness part of it starts in the garden when you're out there and you're picking the cherry tomatoes and and you're teaching. She's seeing that that's where they come from, you know, and, mm. um, you know, so that, that there's, she knows that there's there's work involved in actually creating that food in the first place. Mm. Um, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it in, done a lot of stuff in schools with you know, young primary school kids and stuff like that where there's school kitchen gardens and you go to the schools and the kids are, have grown radishes and turnips and carrots and things like that, and they're pulling them out of the garden and wiping the dirt off them on their shirt and eating them, you know. And it's like, yes. can you imagine trying to get a kid to eat a radish if you just bought it from the shop? But if they've grown themselves from a seed, yeah. all of a sudden they there's a they're total different invested. respect for it, you know. So it's, yeah, um, they're more invested, aren't they? Yeah, it, it's 
Yeah, that that's right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I remember my daughter having a garden at school and being a lot more invested around what you know she was growing. Um, there's no real investment heading to a supermarket with a trolley. There's just no respect for the supply chain. You no, know? no, that's very true. Um, I, I mentioned, uh, I talked a little bit about the slow food movement at the beginning when we first sort of started chatting, but I'm just interested in, in how you got involved and I guess your relationship, I guess, in the area that you live in with the slow food movement and some of the philosophies behind the organisation in general, but just how you make it work where you are up where you where you're living at the moment. Yeah, look, I think my my um, involvement with slow food started maybe twenty years ago, and it wasn't very long after it started. My boss, when I was the chef at Ricky Ricardo's, actually started up mm. a convivia here in Noosa, um, mm. and then I ended up a few years later taking over as the president of Slow Food Noosa. Um, which I did for a few years, and I've sort of been involved in it. I'm on the committee and everything else for, mm. for the last 20 or so years. So um, it's a great and it's a really good, strong, it's probably the strongest convivium in Australia here in Noosa, ah, probably the st- highest, okay. highest membership. They probably do the most stuff, and, it, and it's testament to the fact that there's a lot that's grown and produced in the area, um, by yes. small producers and also the fact that consumers want that. They want to know where the food comes from. Mm. They want to have a relationship with the producers, all that sort of thing. So mm. the two things meet here in Noosa where, you know, people, the, the two sides meet sort of thing. Slow food itself is something that um, began in Italy. You know, people sort of go, oh, slow food, is that where you get your slow cooker out and you put some meat in it, whatever? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's basically the opposite of fast, you know, fast food. Um, yeah. and it was started in Italy by some guys who were just outraged by the fact that there was a McDonald's built at the steps of the Vatican. Um, and they went, right, that's it, that's enough, and started Slow Food. So it's an international movement. And to me, really, you know, it's got a lot of – it's it's the, the motto is good, clean, fair food. And so it's about, you know – sustainability in agriculture it's about paying people what they should be paid for you know working in the fields or growing the food or Mm. whatever so there's a lot of that involved but what it is really to me here in noosa as the slow food movement here is education you know it's an opportunity to educate the public on this is how what you should be supporting and so that's really what slow food noosa focuses on is having Things like breakfasts each month, month where a, a producer from the region, you know, comes and talks to a group about what they do, and so all of a sudden, fifty or sixty people know about, you know, intimately about what they do, how they produce the food that they do, and then they go right. off and tell, oh, I went to this breakfast yesterday. Oh, I saw this guy talk and blah blah. All of a sudden, yeah. you know, it helps their business, but it also yeah brings that awareness of of another, you know cog in the wheel of our food yeah. source here. Is, is that community, Matt, um, you know, business people or are there younger people involved as well in the movement? Um, there are younger people involved in the movement. Yeah, there are some people who, you know, who are in farming, I suppose, and also people who are in the food, you know, food business as well who, yes. are, who are interested in, in that. You know, a lot of the membership, I suppose, are, a lot of older people, retirees and that sort of thing that are, you know, 
have got the time to to yeah. be involved in that. But it, but yeah. a lot of the the you know the committee and the people who are you know out there promoting are the producers and you know mm. are the chefs and the you know that sort of thing that that um, are involved in it. So um, it's a fairly mm. wide range of people that are involved, and they what what they started up a few years ago here in Noosa was um, I think all the snail of approval. Um, awards, which is kind of a, a a stamp of approval, I suppose, by Slow Food Noosa, that if you are a, a restaurant or a cafe um, or you are a producer, they go and find out whether you, you know, meet the, are, are living the philosophies of Slow Food. And if you are, then you get presented this, you know, this thing to say that, yes, okay, you know, I've been vetted by Slow Food and I am, yeah. I do care about sustainability. I do buy my food locally and you have to buy a certain yeah. amount of ingredients locally and, you know, if you're yeah. a cafe. So, so would a restaurant like Lacal yep. in Noosa be yep. a slow food movement? Right. Yep, they um, are one. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. You know, okay. and, and yeah. that's the sort of thing that, yeah, each each um, year they they go back and they check everybody and they make sure that they're still mm. doing the right thing. And so it, that's a good, mm. that's a really good way of, you know, if you come to Noosa and you go, oh, I want to, be, you know, I want to support this. Um, mm. then you look for that symbol on the on the door, or okay, you know, yes. You look up the Slow Food Noosa website and see which ones are actually oh, in there. okay, sustainably, yeah, from mm. farm to fork, kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah that's yeah, philosophy. That philosophy, yeah, absolutely. Mm, that's interesting, and I mean, in terms of um, you know, good food almost being like medicine, um, you know, you know, as parents, we're always trying to get our kids just involved in better eating and more conscious eating. Um, you know, it's a difficult one because, you know, I was just mentioning earlier on that it's a hard one for me as a parent trying to get, I mean, my daughter went to a camp, for example, for a month and she had to cook and prep her own food for a whole month. Wow. And she, you know, she came back and made chocolate Afghans sort of within the first couple of days, which <laughs> was actually really cool. Yeah. They were a little, little strange dried up things but you know we ate we kind of you know dared to eat them um and they, they, they were actually okay um but I think I think the thing is that you know it is hard actually sort of advocating um that kids get in the kitchen and they put the time in and then they eat good food like their veggies and their fruits and all of that I mean she discovered bananas when she was sort of tanking out and needed to keep trekking and came back and was quite Pro about bananas, but how how do you sort of how do you see it working with with particularly I think with teenagers I think younger children might be a little bit easier to coerce and toe the line, but just encouraging our kids to sort of eat healthy and exercise. What, what do you reckon? Are sort of some good tips for parents? Yeah, look, I think you have to start by by like I said earlier, making it something that's fun rather than something that's scary or a burden. <coughs> you know, mm. it, and I think the you know one of the biggest things we're up against is it's so cheap to eat junk food now. You yeah, know, it's cheap. Yeah. You can drop into you know fast food place and get a burger and chips and a, a drink for you know whatever it is eight bucks, eight bucks, nine or, bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why would you do yeah. that? And why would you go to the shops and buy a loaf of bread and some ham and some tomatoes and lettuce and cheese and and then and pour it down sink? the sink because they yeah. don't like it. That's, That's right. the other thing. That's the investment. You know, like I you know fried up a piece of. I fill it 
for for her before she went to camp and she pushed it aside and told me it tasted like fish oh. and wouldn't eat it. <laughs> oh, <little> shit. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh, she won't be saying that after a month after camp. Yeah, but it was, it was like you can see why parents would resort to Uber Eats because there's less emotional investment. The kids picked the kids picked it off the menu. Yeah, they're invested in that choice. Therefore, they choose to eat it. I can just see how parents would shrink back from the kitchen. Go, there's less waste. There's less time wastage because time is money for a lot of parents these days. Um, there's less kind of emotional trauma around having spent time in the kitchen. Yeah. And then pouring it down the sink, and that's just physical food wastage. Yeah. Yeah, look, that, um, that's an issue. I think it's about getting kids a little bit involved in the process as well, though, and, I mean, and making it, like, if, if they see their parents, you know, stressing out in the kitchen and, and you know, it, it, them going, oh, I've got to make bloody dinner for everyone and all that sort of stuff, then all of a sudden it is. It's like this, you know, this sort of emotional burden sort of thing. Whereas if you, like, I get my daughter into the kitchen and she always has sit on the bench while I'm cooking and we talk about stuff and she peels my garlic for me and, you know, okay. all that sort of stuff, and she'll eat stuff raw, cool. raw off the bench, you know, while I'm doing it. Oh, can I have a bean? Can I have some of that carrot or some of that capsicum or whatever? Um, and so she's involved in it then. And, she, you know, mm. we have fails as well, but last night we had, you know, I cooked up some just some pieces of salmon for me and Erin and then broke some bits off and put them in a, on her plate with, you know, a piece of broccoli and a piece of carrot and a piece of cauliflower and, you know, and whatever other veggies, zucchini we were having, and um, you know, and she'll eat that. Um, but you know, I think it's about finding stuff that they are likely to to accept as well, like things almost like um, wholesome versions of junk food that they would eat. You know, and I'll make. Speak- well, give, give me an example. I'm, I'm. I, it's a bit of a mind bender for me. Wholesome versions of junk food. Well, like, I mean, the what, fried what? rice things are, is a clear, you know, one obviously, but. Even yeah, or like, a mince taco. Yeah, a mince that's right. Taco. Exactly. That's a good. That's a yeah. really good one. But it, you know, even spag bowl, most kids will eat that, yeah. right? But yeah, if you, yeah, totally. You know, and spaghetti bolognese, the the traditional in its traditional sense is half vegetables. Um, it's mm. a peasant food, and so it was. You know, mm. it was mostly carrots and celery and onions. Mm. You know, and that was half yes. that made up half the volume of and tomatoes that made up mm. half the volume of it. So mm-hmm. if you can then grate some zucchini and some pumpkin and put that in there as well, and it's all getting cooked down, you can't see what it is by the end of yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, they're still getting all those mineral, minerals and vitamins and yes. everything else. Yes. So, um, you know, that's a lot of what I do, I suppose, is, is you know. And, yeah. you know, yesterday I did. I made a I made ham sandwiches, ham and salad sandwiches for everyone, and she sat down and she was like, wow, this is awesome, Dad. It's so tasty. It had cheese and cucumber mm. and tomato and lettuce and tomato mm. relish and ham and everything on it and it was mm. you know multi-grain bread and mm. um you know yeah so you've made you've made it sort of you've t- you've made that food tasty number one but but sort of accessible and I just like that analogy about you know your daughter sitting on the kitchen bench and sort of almost having that quality family time while you're prepping and yeah yes life's busy but you're sort of finding ways to uh you know make it all fit mm. and just sort of stealing moments, that's how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Stealing moments when we're all sort of busy, you know. Um, I just wanted to talk about, yeah, also the other thing was I wanted to sort of touch on, which we haven't talked a lot about, is 
We've, we've talked about the importance of eating local and supporting local, but I wanted to talk a bit about seasonality and, and you talk about where you are, because you're in the hinterland, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. In Noosa. Yeah, we're about yeah, 45 and so, I mean, minutes from Noosa, yeah. Right, right. So so you, so you where your property is, you would see a lot of seasonality with what's growing in season. Yeah, absolutely. Just the importance of eating, you know, because when you go into a supermarket, you obviously don't really get an appreciation for what's seasonal in the sense that, you sort of get food from all over the world in the supermarkets, no matter what the season is. But when you sort of live like you do on a property, you're more consciously aware. And when you go to farmers markets too, you'd be more aware of what's seasonal. How important do you think it is to eat seasonally? Well, for the quality of things, I think it's hugely important. Um, But I think there's something to be said for the fact that um, there's a reason why why citrus is around in winter when we get colds and we need mm. the vitamin C. You know, the, all those, there's all those yeah. sorts of things that, you know, brassicas and, you know, all the broccoli and cauliflowers and cabbages and all that sort of thing grow best through autumn and winter when we need them the most. And so there is something to be said for, you know, what what times of the year our bodies needs things that actually grow at those times of year. Um, yes. But also just for yes. the pure, for me, for pure quality of it, you know, like I, I said, I've got cherry tomatoes growing wild everywhere all over the property at the moment. Um, they'll disappear, you know, probably in a few months and then we won't see anything for, you know, until springtime. Um, but mm. we've got now things, all the citrus are all all on the trees. They've all flowered in spring and they're covered in, you know, I've got oranges and lemons and lemonades and limes and mandarins and pomelos and all sorts of things and then and watching them watching them grow and change is part of the the pure joy of it you know and and watching the avocado trees all flower and then all the fruit form and watching it all grow and the i guess the brutal harsh reality of having a property with fruit trees and and it and it's you know it brings to light the just how what a hard world farming is, is that, you, you know, I look at the avocados and they're all perfect and I go, and they're all probably about half the size that they'll eventually be. Um, and right. So we, we might not pick any for another three or four months, but you look at them and you go, wow, they're beautiful, but you, you can't, it's a case of not counting your chickens before they've hatched because you know very well that unless, until you're eating that avocado, it could get hit by hail a bug infestation mm. could come and sting mm. them all. It could, you know, there's so many, yeah, yeah. there's so many there's different a lot of factors. factors. It could become, yeah. you know, there could be a drought. It could be too cold, too hot, too wet, too dry. There could be any number of things that come and destroy any of that stuff mm. at any time. But, you know, you kind of just, you appreciate it when you've got it. We've just got dragon fruits that have just all started flowering and so we'll be picking those soon. Um, I've just planted zucchini and squash and watermelons yesterday um so you know we'll, a few months time we'll be eating those yeah um yeah. so yeah look i think the seasonal thing is is something to be aware of um i always check the if i go to the, do go to the supermarket i always check the labels and see you know check where the grapes or the cherries or the pomegranates or the whatever because they're the ones that are most likely to be from the us and you kind of go mm. well that's just ludicrous you know even or- oranges you know, it's absolutely ludicrous that we import those all that way, you know, just yeah, so that we yeah. can always have oranges all year round, mm, you know. That's <laughs> right, that's right, that's true. Just don't eat oranges yeah, no, if there's no really oranges. Point. 
Yes, that's right. I mean, and that, 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 that sort of takes me to the point around the cost of living. I mean, Kiwis right now, and I think also in Australia, but I think more so for Kiwis, it, we've, I've had this conversation with, with Aussies too, is that the cost of living's really hiked. And, and look, I think the same is true for Aussies, but I think it's even been more expensive for Kiwis right now, just with veggies, local veggies in particular, and our local suppliers, and just even right now we're facing a massive egg shortage, but we've just really noticed the pinch. I mean, I, I mean, I can fill a trolley up in Queensland at one of your local, you know, supermarkets for about 200 bucks and I walk away and, I, and it's like a Christmas, you know, it's like a, an early Christmas and there's no way I could do the same here in, in New Zealand. So I do think food is cheaper in Aussie, but Certainly, you're certainly up in Queensland. Anyway, I don't know, don't think it's probably as true in Sydney. Yeah. Um. But but you know that there is huge pressure for families all around the world. Yeah. Um. And I mean, our listeners are from all around the world, but we do have a large number of listeners in Australia, and obviously the you know price affects the kinds of of ingredients that we purchase and the food that we eat. Do you have any tips just for people that might be looking to? live more cost-effectively, but want to eat good quality food. Mm. How do you sort of tackle that? I think there is that. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, there's there's a lot of ways to get, you know, protein into your diet without having to buy expensive meats. You know, there's things mm. like if you if you teach yourself to, um, to cook legumes, whether that's chickpeas, you know, you can buy a, a dried bag of chickpeas, a kilo bag for four bucks or something like that, and that'll last mm. you about three weeks worth of chickpeas. You know, if you soak them overnight and then you cook them and you cook them properly, and then you, you know, you can once they're cooked, you can freeze them down and pull them out when you need them. They can go into salads, they can go into soups or stews or braises or whatever. Yes. And all of a sudden, you're bulking out a meal with something that's cost you absolutely bugger all. Um, and you've got things like tin, a good point. You, know, you combine yeah. those with tin tomatoes, and that that's not just chickpeas. That could be lentils, could be red kidney beans, bolotti beans, cannellini beans. All those things to me, like they're awesome foods. They're and they're great flavors, and they really add amazing texture to dishes. So mm. there's those sorts of things where you know it doesn't. I try to make it in our house that it's not just meat every day. You know, you you have a few two or three meat free days where you just go, okay, well we don't need to have. A, a yeah. chicken breast what, what, what is your take on meat you know what is i'm just curious on your take on meat i mean do you guys eat organic or do you think organic meat is the way to go oh look i don't know i think it probably if you're talking about um you know cost effectiveness it's probably too expensive for the majority of people um mm. i you know we do we do eat, still eat a fair bit of meat in our household um and that's chicken and um you know I, i'm lucky enough that here where I am, I've got uh, three um, good free-range pastured chicken su- suppliers and also yeah. I've got really good access to pastured free-range eggs and I won't eat anything else now. It's like, no, I'm not, yes. not going to eat a caged egg out of principle, mm. Um, mm. but also from the quality of it. You know, when you, mm-hmm. yeah. you take a caged egg from the, from the supermarkets and you take um, a pastured free-range egg from a local supplier and you try poaching in two separate pans and see what happens. You know, the quality is just ridiculously different because you're after you want with eggs, you need freshness. That's a really big part of it. Mm. And so Mm. they've a a local supplier is going to have a huge, much bigger turnover. 
Um, so that their eggs will be from this week, not from four weeks ago. Um, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's about the humanity of how those animals are treated. And it's the same thing yes. with, you know, with pork and beef and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it, it, organic is not necessarily, organic is pretty prohibitive to most people, most farmers buying organic yeah. feed these days and all that sort of stuff. A lot of them just, they just can't make the maths work and people aren't prepared no, to no. pay a hundred dollars a kilo for their pork, you know? So what do you, what do you think about the future of meat and where it's headed? Um, look, I think... And maybe particularly from a chefing point of view too, just how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's it's a tough one because I understand that it's fairly un, uh, uh, um, unrealistic to think that we can all eat, you know, pastured, you know, grass-fed beef and it's all, you know, hunky-dory. But for me personally, um, I'll take grass-fed beef any day of the week over grain fed. And that's mostly because I like the flavor of it. I'm not particularly mm. that concerned about having like stupid amounts of fatty marbling through a steak. I'd rather have the flavor of it and cook it well and it'll still be mm. delicious. But mm. also, you know, I've been to, um, to lot feeding, you know, places for cattle are kept for you know three or four months being force-fed grain in it and standing around in their own feces and Mm. it's like oh that's not a very nice way to end your life really finishing like that so and yet you go I can go you know a few k's out here from where I am to grass-fed beef farm where the cows are just being transferred from Mm. one paddock to the next onto the next part of the patch of grass and you go... And I'm thinking like even another step further, thinking about lab meat. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Isn't it? I've got to admit I don't know a lot about it because I haven't really taken any notice of it. (laughs) I think, sure, you know, if that works... um, then great, and if there's a market for it. What is interesting to me, I went to a, a trade show um, last year and I was a speaker at something and, and I was downstairs in the trade show walking around and about maybe 10 years ago, you'd go to one of those food trade shows and, and it'd be like, yeah, this is the salami and cheese stall and this is the, you know, where we make the ham or whatever and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then and this trade show, there was... Over all of that, and there was just all these vegan meat supplements and, you know, different burgers and... Yeah, plant-based burgers. Yeah, plant-based burgers and sausages and chicken nuggets and, like, all all these things replicating meat. um, Yes. Which is not a bad thing, really, you know. It's... Mm. I, I, I kind of... Uh, to be honest, I'd rather. Have you, have you ever tried eat, one? Yeah, I have. I've tried most of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're good. Yeah. yeah, good products, you know. And if there's, yeah, yeah, it just shows that there's a market for that. Yeah, you know? yeah, there Obviously, is. I if was there's, just curious. If there's twelve, yeah. you know, plant-based food stalls at <laughs> at the trade show, yeah. then that's yeah, what yeah. restaurants are there going. Oh, what plant-based stuff can I offer my customers? Because that's what they're asking for. That's right. Um, that's right. It's kind so, of consumer-led, yeah, yeah consumer-driven. Yeah, yeah, so I found that really interesting. It was a real sign of the times that that's where mm. the industry is moving to. Uh, me personally, I'd rather eat a bowl of chickpeas braised, you know, with some tomatoes and <laughs> that, mm. that, can be yeah. my, that can be my protein. I don't need to yes. prete- have pretend meat. Uh, mm. But there's a lot of people, they just, you know, they want a burger, but they don't want it to be beef. 
and that's fair. Yes, that's yeah, good. that's right. That's, that's right. actually probably yeah, that's a good thing for the environment and for their bodies. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, you know, saving the planet and, you know, plate to planet, you know, there's, we've had a bunch of different conversations on the at source around this very point. And so um, I always like to sort of ask that question mm. when we have these kinds of conversations because everybody's got a slightly different sort of take on it. Um, I guess um, I guess we've sort of touched on this question a little bit just with this point, but I guess, you know, my final question in, in this sort of nutrition space for today is, you know, what are your predictions and hopes for the future of nutrition for our society sort of outside of the, you know, the plant-based meat conversation? What, what's your thoughts? Oh, look, I'd hope that people's – what I see in my region is that people are interested in where their food comes from. If people, mm-hmm. if there's a um, a food trail open in the region for a weekend, and people can go from farm to farm, and that happens just in my region right here, you know, and people can go to the strawberry farm, and then they can go to the macadamia farm, and then they can go to the this farm and that farm, and they can just kind of tour, tour around for the day and visit places and see how strawberries are growing, pick some yeah. themselves or whatever. Are hugely popular, and so that shows that people actually are interested in finding out about it and. I think I think that's probably going to continue to increase, and I think where it's important there is not just for adults to be doing that sort of thing, but taking their kids there and and them seeing them picking their own strawberries from a strawberry bush. You know, that's that's really a big thing. You know, it's that's it's good fun. It's special. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Just, I've done that with cherries yeah, down in Otago absolutely. somewhat recently. Yeah, yeah, it's a really yeah, special thing, good. and and it's particularly good for kids to to understand that that's where the mm. strawberries don't come from a punnet, um, and that's also right. they're usually the best. That's really usually going to be the best strawberry they're ever going to eat. You know, the one so that- so what you're really saying is you know these these growers just opening up their businesses and letting people in and. And some and some people, and some farms that's never going to suit, you know. But some some mm. do, and the ones that do, uh, you know, the um, it, it's really good for people to do that. I would hope that, you know, people would probably, you know, get, you know, continue to become more and more interested in food, where it comes from, and also become less scared of, you know, of tackling food and cooking. You know, otherwise it is all just going to become Uber Eats and everything in a in a plastic you know paper bag and a paper bag yeah that's right yeah yeah and I mean as you say there's a big education piece there like I learned pretty quick which the best cherries were to be picking off you know like I hadn't given it a minute's thought before I rocked up on a ladder so (laughs) it was it was a great a great experience yeah yeah, and, and just in terms of your own sort of personal plans, you know, going forward for this year, I mean, you've obviously had a bit of time to decompress, what, for the last couple of months because you sort of knocked off, didn't you, in November. You left yeah. um, View Restaurant in November, didn't you? Yeah. You sort of said goodbye to the crew um, there, and you've sort of decompressed for the last, what, couple of months, eight, eight nine weeks. So what, what are you, and you're itching to get back into something. So what are, what's, the, what's the plan? Well, I've kind of got some some plans for this year, and I'm I'm – I've reached a point now where, because I'm here on this, you know, on this property, and I've got two little girls. For the last ten years or so, I've been kind of doing view, but also traveling around a lot. So I've been away a lot. And I said to Erin, I think I added up on my calendar of all the nights that I've been away in last year in 2022. And it was like 100 nights or something like that. I've been in a wow. motel or okay. a, you know whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's like oh, I don't really want to do that anymore. So I've I've actually been saying no to events. 
for this year and I'm going to mm. knuckle down and I think I'm going to get myself a real job where I get to actually stay somewhere and cook um, mm. full time and that just to be, you know, to to focus just on that and I've got this opportunity here um, to, you know, kind of experiment and come up with things using all this knowledge I have of, you know, and all these relationships I have with all the farmers in the region. So, mm. yeah, so watch this space. I'm not going to say anything too specific just yet, but I, I do have no, something no. lined up. I've got lots of opportunities. Of, in the fire. Just, just looking for something local where yeah. you can make a difference, make a bit of a mark, Yeah, try something new, but be, as you say, a little bit more home-based, I suppose, with two little ones now. You've not got one but two. It, it sort of makes sense as well, doesn't yeah, it, to it be does. a little bit more homebound. I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah. that. It's going to be good. Yeah, no, that sounds like that sounds really good. And, I mean, as you said, you've got the property and all these things growing too. So I, I'm guessing you don't have, you know, a dozen gardeners no, running around with no. pink wheelbarrows either. Me, so you're it. madly you're mowing it. <laughs> and whippersnippering and pruning and fertilising and yeah. mulching. And, yeah. it's, exactly. And so it. you're it. It's good, right. it's good fun though. I'm loving it. So it's um it's a learning experience every day. I'm I'm learning something new about what to do or what not to do. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, a, a nice year for you ahead. Well, I, you know, I look forward to sort of seeing what you're up to next, and we'll certainly stay in touch. Just wanted to say thanks very much for joining me today. It's season six for us. We've been going oh, strong. Oh wow! Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And we're ramping up with our Australian um, guests. So. Thanks so much for joining us oh, and um, joining me. And I look forward to um, staying in touch and seeing what you're yeah, up to. Yeah, we'll have I'll a good, good start to the, to the, to to the year. Hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll reach out and say hi. Yeah, do, yeah. please. I'd love to see you. Good one. Okay. Have a great one. Take okay, care. talk soon. See you, Okay, bye. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation. And stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.